Welcome to the Fan Engagement Pod, a new conversation about fan engagement. Don't forget you can join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join for exclusive member services and benefits. This stuff is the teacher. 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 Welcome to episode 25 of the Fan Engagement Pod, an interview with the Chief Executive of Rugby League Club Warrington Wolves, Carl Fitzpatrick. I've been chatting with Carl on and off since early summer, and I really like what he has to say. Warrington is itself close to football hotbeds, Manchester and Liverpool, as well as rugby league being a minority sport, so you can't just do more of the same. Under Carl, they've been become known for their innovative approach to marketing a sport and a club that has to work far harder than football for eyeballs and money. I think he manages to walk the fine line between the club as an institution with stakeholders and an entertainment product that needs to excite people. He's had a really interesting career to date, having played rugby league professionally for both Widnes and then Salford City Reds between 2000 and 2010. He then studied for an MBA, worked on the playing side, eventually becoming head of football at Warrington and then chief executive in 2016. Listen to the uh, part particularly about how he took on the doubters and I, I just love the way he did it. Uh, and he deserves an enormous amount of respect for it, as well as also proving that it reaped rewards in the long term. Do enjoy the episode, and don't forget you can join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join, and we're introducing some exclusive member services soon. Enjoy the episode. The, I mean, when we last spoke, and we didn't we didn't record it, we just had a chat, it was an introductory chat, Paul, wasn't it? And um, yeah. The, the most interesting thing, and you're the first person I've had from a different sport on um, on the Fun Engagement pod, and it's interesting. I think it's a good thing for people to hear a different perspective. The thing we were talking about a little bit was um, the sort of compromises or the intersection between being um, an old institution, and old, you know, you're a, you're a, you, 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 you know, you didn't, you weren't born yesterday. You've been around for a long time as a, as a, as a rugby league club and, um, and trying to appeal in an area geographically where you've got huge pressure from football yeah. and trying to make sure that you don't, um, you know, you have to be, you are different and you have to be different. Um, but you have to maintain some of that sincerity, some of that old, you know, some of that, um, I'm going to use it. It's authentic, you know, your authenticity, yeah, authenticity. As, an old, as an old institution. So, so how do you, how do you do it? How do you make, you're right. It has been relatively difficult in, in, when you frame it in that context. However, first of all, we need to understand, okay, what, why do people engage with sport? Why do they come and watch sport? Now there's numerous different reasons, but ultimately they want to be entertained. And secondly, I think they want people want to, belong to something they want to feel part of something and that goes back through as you mentioned there uh, that the uh the heritage of the club do you mean there's generations upon generations upon generations of supporters that have followed what that have followed warrington wolves so it's important that when we engage with our supporters young young and old that we acknowledge the heritage of of the uh, of the club and it's something that we're really proud of and something that we brought back was was the wire 
uh, with the advent of Super League, every team got a moniker. Uh, some better than others. Halifax had the Blue Sox, which didn't go down too well and didn't last too long. Uh, some was really some some really took off the Bradford Bulls in the early days, uh, and Warrington ultimately come come the Wolves. And for a period of time, I think particularly with a number of supporters, the actual uh, nickname of the Wire died a little bit. I'd suggest. However, we've we tried to we tried to revitalise that in recent years and bring that back uh, and make that part of our. Uh, of our branding, so to say, and really acknowledge the past. Uh, and I think I think we've done that to a to a degree of success in, in recent years, while still continuing to be uh, the wolves, the, the, the wolves uh, or Warrington wolves. I should add. I don't want uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers getting uh, <laughs> watching this. So yeah, it has it has been it has been difficult in that respect when you, when you frame it like that, Kevin. But ultimately. Uh, why do people come to sports club? They want to be entertained and they want to feel part of something. And therefore, every touch point that we, uh, that we have, the match day entertainment, the fan engagement strategy, uh, we try to make them belong and feel part of the club and feel part of the rich history whilst entertaining them, whilst entertaining them along the way. Well, there were a couple of things that... Um, that well, there's like, I mean, there was so much stuff when we, when we spoke first time round, just a sort of introductory chat. Um, I, th- I think it was Ryan Sparks that that um, suggested you, who's, a, who's now he's now been elevated to the heights of director of communications and marketing uh, at Bradford City. And to be fair, very well deserved. I, I, you know, he's he's someone I like. I like talking to a lot. Um, and one of the things that we were talking about um, was so kind of going back onto that point about league and about it's you know. It, <laughs> it's a difficult position to hold in an area where it's your, you know, your homeland, you have a strip of, of England, which is absolutely rugby league, but it also, also got this, this um, competition from football, which is always going to be there because, you know, we can't, we can't change that. That can't be changed. But the bit that, that interested me was this thing of rugby league being, t- there's too much humility or there's a lot of humility, sometimes too much humility in talking about the sport and about being proud of it, I suppose. And the other bit was, um, was about lead then about leadership, which is obviously how you deal with being a, a smaller sport and having to try to present yourself in that space. Uh, how, tell me a little bit about that. How how is it um, that this humility? What what's this humility in rugby league that you talked about? Can you explain it to people? Yes, yeah, so a few things on uh, the things you, you, you've just mentioned there, Kevin. First of all, going on our geographical location and where we're positioned. If you think. Uh, the best place to describe Warrington is in between Liverpool and Manchester. So we're right in between Liverpool, Everton, Man United and Manchester City. Also, people say Warrington is a rugby town. And it is to a degree when you go back uh, through the years. We spoke earlier about uh, the heritage and the heritage of rugby league in Warrington. There's seven, seven, community, uh, seven community clubs in Warrington, seven rugby league community clubs. There's over 50 football community clubs in Warrington. So although people say Warrington is a rugby town, and it is to a degree, it also has a real strong football presence. And that's what, we're, that's what we, we've been up against, uh, obviously, with, as, as, as the Premier League has, has, has grown and become a, uh, a, a beast. We've had to position ourselves very much different. We can't go toe-to-toe with a Premier League club, Kevin, as, on, on a sport-to-sport basis. We've, have, we've got a present and position ourselves different. And how we've done that is we've been 
uh, a little bit edgy with own marketing. We've been uh, probably more akin to an American franchise. We've all positioned ourselves and the content that we put out there. Uh, we've got a fantastic charitable arm in our foundation that engage with all the primary schools, high schools and community clubs within, within the area. Uh, an initiative that we've, that we've rolled out this, uh, this season uh, before, before obviously the lockdown and before behind closed doors games was all seven-year-olds that signed up with a professional, uh, sorry, with a, uh, a community club get a free season ticket. So it's bringing them in engagement at that, at that young age. Because again, we need, we, we're coming up against, uh, as I say, four giant football clubs. But not only that, we're also in competition with the cinema, the bowling, all that leisure spend. So we've had to position ourselves very, very different in that way. And do you think that, and so on that point of humility and then the solution to it being leadership, do you think, Rugby league sort of struggled with that then. Um, on humility, we spoke about this last time, Kevin, and, and it's a funny one, really, because I think this is one of our strengths, but I also think it's one of our weaknesses that we are too community based and our players are too accessible. Uh, they don't have the mystique around them like the Premier League footballers. Now, there's no argument to say that they are so far removed from the man on the street now, they're unrelatable, and that goes uh, against football. However, I think we're, we are at the uh, other end of the spectrum, but too far. In that, that, that just in my opinion. Again, it's great that uh, our players engage with the community. That's fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but they're too accessible. They lose that mystique, and I think that's one an issue that the, the game needs to address is that we need uh, the players a little bit, uh, a little bit more mystique about them, a little bit higher on a pedestal. Right, but then, I mean, that'll be something to do with, that will also, again, be something to do with the fact that when you've got a sport that is smaller, then everything is smaller. It's harder to elevate yourself. And that's why, I suppose, this point then of, of, um, of, of leadership and that, you know, let's, let's be frank. I mean, I, I think I said to you previously, I watched rugby league. Not, I can't pretend to be an expert by any stretch, but I watched it when I was a kid in, in London when Fulham, yeah. Um, rugby league was set up obviously now they've finally returned to being the London Broncos again and play over in Ealing I think it is isn't it um, and the the thing that the thing that always stands out for me with league and I think must be confusing to Peter to potential fans probably um, that you're trying to attract is is that the game and it's particularly it's for, particularly the format of the leagues the name of the clubs they change so much and you kind of hinted at it earlier about, you know, the Halifax Blue Sox and the Warrington Wolves. And the thing that you've got that's the most strong for me in terms of the belonging part of fan engagement, you're thinking about that. The strongest, I find the strongest thing about league is just that you've got these, you've got these names that if you know anything about league at all, they resonate. Um, and there's something about the Stones bit of championship that I watched when I was a kid versus you know, the Super League with aside, with all due respect to Canada, you know, Canadian Rugby League, aside from Canada playing, aside from the South of France, aside from the South of France playing, change isn't a bad thing, but maybe some of this difficulty in, in, um, in, in that leadership area that you perhaps have demonstrated, you know, you quite well. Yourselves. On that, Kevin, it's a good point you raise. I think at times uh, the sport has been, guilty of uh, 
putting a sticking plaster over a gaping wound. And what I mean by that is we've probably at times thought, right, okay, let's change the playoff system. Let's change the number of teams in the league. Let's change the amount of times we play each other. And thinking, right, this is going to be, I mean, this is, <laughs> this is going to be the silver bullet that addresses everything. And that's not always, that's not, that's not been the case. In my opinion, what we need to address is how we dress ourselves, how we market ourselves, how we brand ourselves, how we project ourselves consistently at a high level across the 12 or 11 teams that we have in, that we have in Super League. Not necessarily how many, uh, how many uh, fixtures we play, how many, uh, what's the playoff series, is the promotion, is the relegation. Now, of course, they, uh, uh, they need to be considered, need to be thought through, and they may have some sort of impact. But I don't think the reason that Super League is not, uh, is not strong nationwide is down to a top five playoff, a top six playoff, a top eight playoff, loop games. Now, obviously, they need to be considered. I'm not saying that. I'm not being completely blasé in that respect. Uh, however, I think at times we've been caught up with, uh, let's tinker with this, let's tinker with that, when there's bigger issues that we need to address, as I've mentioned, i.e. the marketing, branding of the game, of the sport. Because when you look at the sport, Kevin, and the athletes that play the game, and I don't say this lightly, they are incredible athletes, if not the best athletes on this planet. They have to be fit, both uh, from an anaerobic and aerobic uh, capacity. They've got to be fast. They've got to be, str- they've got to be strong. Uh, they've got to be skillful. And they've got to be mentally resilient. Because if I was going to say, right, okay, Kevin, if I'm going to get a bloke that's 18 stone, 17 stone to run at you as hard as, as, hard as you can. Your job is to knock him back this way. And his job is to knock you back this way. It's crazy. It's barbaric. It's like going back to the to the Roman times and the Colosseum. It's gladiatorial. It's unbelievable. And that, again, going back to how we positioned ourselves as a sport, we've kind of shied away from that. And that goes back to your early statements about, about being uh, uh, humble, humility. People want to see that. Like it or not, people want to see that. You look at the growth of the UFC in the last 20 years, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's, it could be argued that it's surpassed boxing now in terms of uh, the popularity across the globe because Dana White and his team have put the spotlight on the gladiatorial aspect of the game. And that's something that we've done. And it got, uh, it got pushed back from some quarters and some clubs wasn't too, too happy about it and how we positioned ourselves. Great. Fantastic. That, call, that creates talking points. Uh, talking points. So, uh, in, ter- so in, terms of, in terms of sport, I think it's, it, it, we've just been focusing on areas that, yeah, okay, they need to be considered, need to be thought through and trying to get the best position, the best league composition. But ultimately, there's bigger issues at play. You, um, I, I, I hope at some point um, it's occurred to you that maybe some of what you do at Warrington could could be adopted more widely by other clubs, you know, and, and, and actually looking, you know, if you're looking for me, if you're looking for someone to run the sport of rugby league at some point in the future, Carl, you've got to be worth a bet. I think running a league governing body is significantly uh, different than uh, running a club and, man- and managing a club and probably uh, being candid, probably a lot more difficult as well. You've got a lot, uh, a lot more uh, clubs directors to deal with. Uh, but yeah, I, I understand what you're Kevin. Our, our, our approach. So last season we saw a 12% increase 
on our uh, on our attendance. Uh, how, again, how we positioned ourselves and our digital footprint uh, allowed us to engage with Hoover. Uh, Hoover now our principal sponsor, shirt sponsor, fantastic partner. Uh, they love what we're doing, what was about, how we position ourselves, how we're marking ourselves. And no other club in, uh, in in certainly in Super League doesn't get as many column inches uh, as media exposure as ourselves. But um, to tell me something now. You, when it comes to getting to the sort of um, the nitty gritty. Um, of fan relations. One thing you mentioned previously was when you came in, um, and you came in through. So you came in as a volunteer, didn't you? Through so player welfare, because you're an ex-player, um, and you you came in and you went work for the community arm. That's right, isn't well, it? Well, no, so yeah, so I didn't have the conventional route. So I was uh, I was to be honest, I was only an average player. I played at Salford for the majority of my career for about eight nine years, which is a uh, obviously a competitor. Uh, Salford, Salford Reds. So I finished playing at the end of 2010. I was just finishing off a sports performance degree over at Leeds. And at that time, I thought uh, I wanted to get into sports performance uh, domain, sports science, strength and conditioning that, uh, in that area. So I finished at Salford, finished up my degree and I approached Warrington. I said, look, I said, would you give me the opportunity to, uh, to, get, me, to get a foot in the door? Uh, I'm willing to come and work for you. Uh, but here's the catch. You don't have to pay me anything. I went to come for free. I didn't go down too well with, with having a wife and two kids and a mortgage to pay uh, after earning a, a decent Super League salary, I might say, although I was only an average player, probably got overpaid. Uh, that was to get me foot in the door. So then I worked, uh, I worked in the sports, as I say, in the, uh, in the strength conditioning, sports performance uh, department for, what, four or five months without getting paid. So that 2010 was a bleak Christmas, let me tell you. Uh, and then a role come available to become a player welfare manager. So that role involved uh, supporting, looking after the players away from the game. So preparing them for that transition when they come out of sport. Quite enjoyed that. Uh, from there, I then became like a football manager, it's called. It's basically the team manager looking after the logistics, the operations of the first grade. That then progressed again to be the uh, head of rugby operations, so that's looking after the whole rugby division of the organisation from first grade all the way down to scholarship level. Again, logistics, operations, salary cap, finance, budgeting. Uh, whilst doing, whilst uh, I was head of rugby operations, I also completed uh, an MBA. And then at the start of 2017, uh, I was fortunate that the board offered me the role to become CEO. So yeah, not so, your conventional route. No, well, but... It means you educate yourself, having also been a player, it means you educate yourself in the way the club operated. The thing that I was really interested in was that um, I remember you talking about um, when you started, I think there were sceptics in the fan base. Absolutely. Um, Probably still is. <laughs> yeah. The thing that interested me was you, you took a similar approach to a few chief executives I've known at, at football clubs, and that's that... Um, you took it. You took it on. You took criticism on the chin, and you took it head on in a good way. In that, this is a really simple thing, and I, I want, I would love to see more and more chief executives do this. And some do it. A lot don't. Um, and it's the fact that you positioned yourself outside the ground. It was by the by the statue, yeah, outside so the ground. What what happened, that Kevin? So yeah, so so my first year in two thousand and seventeen when I got appointed CEO. 
uh, lot of skeptics, a lot of eyebrows raised, uh, not experienced, the youngest CEO in, in, the, in the club's history, uh, one of the youngest, if not the youngest in, in, in Super League, uh, not up to the task. Uh, that season was probably one of the worst on-field uh, performances, results that we'd had in a long time. Uh, we finished uh, with we finished eight, so with eight we had a horrendous, horrendous run on field. Stadium naming rights uh, expired. Front of shirts sponsor expired. Kit kit partner deal that expired. Our murky player went home, didn't come back. It was just like whatever could go wrong, it went wrong, and it was my first year, and it was all my fault. <laughs> if you just listen to the supporters, I was getting hammered left, right, and centre. Uh, social media, letters, emails, the full lot. And at first I was like, oh, goodness, how do I approach this? I said, right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He said, for the last, I think it was six, six or seven games uh, of, the season, of, the, of the season, six, seven home games, I said, right, I'm going to make myself available uh, outside the stadium on game day for an hour before kickoff. I'm at the Brian Bevan statue. Uh, well-known uh, location uh, outside the stadium. Uh, so kicking off at say, let's kicking off at uh, kicking off at eight. Right, guy, yeah, I'll be there from quarter to seven to quarter to eight on my own. If you have any issues, uh, any concerns, come and have a chat to me, and I'll uh, answer as honestly as possible. Obviously, there's some questions there which I, I wouldn't, I wasn't in a position to answer. Are you going to sack the coach? Uh, are you going to get rid of this player? Are you going to get rid of that player? Uh, and to be fair, I didn't really get those those sort of questions. Uh, but I went out there and I, and I fronted them up. Uh, some people come and approach me uh, and asked a few questions. Uh, but, but I was quite surprised in how many probably didn't come and challenge me and ask ask a question. But I think by doing that, giving a little bit of uh, credibility is the right word. Uh, but the, the support, the feedback with supporters was well, fair play, is willing to front up. Courage. No, I think it. I think no. I think it is credibility because you've gone there as an ex-player. You know, all that all people see is ex-player turns up, gets job running club, running club, and what they haven't looked at is your backstory. Some might know about it, and then because there's all these things happening that aren't so good, like results on the pitch, and then this player leaving and yeah. this sponsor running out, and the 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 the. The, the, the sponsor for the ground running out and all that so they start to connect it all to you and that's one of the problems with just one of the drawbacks of leadership isn't it and I'm sure you know <laughs> well you know it through experience but this for me is always when it comes to sort of fan engagement at a very strategic level it's you've got to be making the right choices and one of the things that um, any anyone in a club whether it's a rugby league club or a football club or a rugby union club or a cricket club or whatever it is, might have to do sometimes. Yeah. You know, I did get in this year though on that, and I got this wrong. I shied away from doing any interviews with the press. I shied away from engaging with the media in 2017 because I was concerned with, with some of the questions that they was going to ask me about the uh, the coach's future, certain players' future at, at, at that time. So I shied away uh, from engaging with the press. In hindsight, and knowing what I know now, and obviously I've been in the role a, a little bit longer, I should, probably should have engaged the press a little bit more and used that the press and the media as a platform. 
Well, but then I suspect now the way that you do your fan engagement as a club, that that lesson has helped you to incorporate that. You've incorporated that into your strategy, the way you do things. And it now means that kind of having, in a, I suppose in a way, uh, that moment where you've got all of this noise and turmoil going on, taking it down to the level of, I just want to talk to fans on the ground. It's sort of, okay, if, if not, you know, I can understand why you would have shied away from press and gone, and whether it was intentional to go for f- speaking fans to face, fans face to face and saying I'm leaving the media for the moment or whether it was they were kind of two separate decisions actually in in a way in tandem doing what you did speaking to fans probably did you more long-term good because it meant that you were able to solve those you know those fires when when those fires start if you don't deal with them early with fans and you don't and you bat let's say you batten down the hatches and all you did was communicate through the press yeah, um, and through through, through kind of arm's length, you know, or through social media channels, and you're just talking at people, then that that would have I think that would have damaged you long term. So actually, I disagree. Although, yeah, you might have put a bit more out about the players and and that kind of thing and quenched that thirst. The thing that a lot of people avoid at that moment is fronting up to fans because they don't they don't they think that's more risky. Yeah. So so. I think you should take a bit more credit than, than that. But it's good reflection because that doesn't yeah. always come with leadership. Yeah, and, 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 it, and going out with the fans, it, going out with the fans, sorry, it was a disarming process. And what I mean by that, they, they'd come up, some, some fans would come up and say, oh, well, crap, I'm a bum. And I'd go, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> it completely disarms them and said, yeah, we got that wrong. Yeah, I got that wrong. And straight away, they're like, Oh, right, okay. But then I follow it up with, but we're going to do A, B, and C to correct this. Mm. All right, okay. So what I, what I saw, because you kindly invited me along to, to one of the virtual fans forums a couple of months ago during lockdown. And, you know, there's, it was clear from there that people, there's, there's, some, there's, there's trust there. You've, you've not just bought some time. People listen to you. Um, do you... How do you run that very practical side of your fan engagement? What do you do? Do you meet? Do you have? I mean, I know you have um, a sort of supporters trust there. Um, it's a little bit more sort of focused on the development playing side. I seem to remember than um, than maybe governance and things. But um, do you have any sort of fan representatives? Do you tend to just do it through open forums like one I attended or? No, so we have done so, yeah. So we've uh, part of our part of our strategy a, num- a number of strands. Uh, so we do all open forums, uh, but we also have a fans consultation group. So a cross section of fans. Uh, we and we will hold meetings. What probably every every six weeks. Sometimes it's just an open floor. The one that you attended, Kev. I think it was just an open open forum where they could ask me uh, myself, Steve, or I think the, ch- the chairman may have been on that call as well. Uh, asked us whatever whatever they wish. Uh, other other forums uh, are specific, so we may have one focused on our uh, hospital, our food and beverage offering. Uh, it may be on performance, on field performance. I mean, it may be uh, on the match day experience. Uh, so sometimes it's more general, sometimes it's real spe- real specific. We do have a fan engagement officer in Claire Gamble, whose uh, whose remit is obviously to 
uh, is to work with our supporters, to collect feedback from our supporters and try and improve our fan engagement offering. But I'll say one thing that you do do. So you've got, I know you've got a fan engagement officer. The thing that, that's interesting there is that um, I can see is important on a very practical level because you, you can't physically be compiling feedback and running surveys and organising meetings. The bit that is important I'll come back to is, um, is that thing of it runs through the club. So, in fact, there's, there's a little bit of a segue here. Damien Irvin, obviously, the, uh, yeah. I think you'll, you'll be... I know Damien. You know, yeah, who um, used to run the Remind Me the Sydney... Granola Sharks. Granola Sharks, that was it. Um, based in Sydney. Um, and what he's what he passionately argues for, I mean, he now runs Everfleet United Football Club in, in now the National League South, it's a tier six of English football, is he, is he says, yeah, it's all well and good, you know, having a fan engagement officer or lead, but does it run through the club? And that's what's clear from talking to you, is that actually I think what you do could teach football a, a few lessons about, A, about the leadership side of it, I think, B, about, um, uh, about fronting up and being straight with people. And C, actually, that you do, that, that you realise that, um, that it's not going to be, you know, when you're trying to run something like this, that you're not going to be popular all the time, that you're going to have to make difficult decisions. But the thing for me always comes across with you is, is that you try and show a clean pair of hands, if you know what I mean. You, yeah. try, to, you try to say, look, I'm, I'm not just an enthusiastic amateur. I'm a professional in what I'm doing. But I will make errors. I will not be. I will not be perfect. But I will always be listening. Yeah. And that's. I mean, does that kind of sum your approach up? Yeah. Uh, possibly. I think, as you mentioned there, that it runs through the club. I think it starts at the very top. You look at look at our directors. Uh, you look at our chairman. You look at the owner in particular. They're both proud Warrentonians. Uh, they're both mad supporters of the club. They've been. They were supporters as kids. Uh, now they're fortunate. To be in a uh, in a position where one owns a club among among the chairman, but I think it comes from I think it comes from the very top, Kevin. Uh, and I'll get challenged from the board in in the right way about uh, engaging with our supporters, about doing it the right way. And every every decision that we make is with our supporters in mind. And uh, we've recently uh, we've put out our re our rebate options for our season ticket holders, for our, our full members. Uh, and within our offerings, uh, so we had three three offers uh, that we put forward. Uh, the first two was an alternative to a refund. So one was was that the, so the members don't ask for a don't ask for a refund uh, and pay full price next year, and in turn they become a legacy member with, a, with with some fantastic benefits. The second option is they don't ask for a refund, but yet they get credit on next season's uh, season ticket. Uh, and the season after that, and the season after that, depending on how many games we miss, we simply don't know how many games we're going to be behind closed doors. And the third option was was a refund. And we've been very clear throughout our messaging. It's been, we fully understand and respect and appreciate if you cannot afford to donate your, your, your season ticket, we will give you a refund. And that's been... Uh, that's been the messaging throughout this process. I know some clubs, uh, both in, 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 in rugby and, and, and other sports, that have not provided the offering to the supporters. I think that's just wrong. Well, look, Carl, you, you know, the, the, as I said, the thing for me is that I think, um, and it's the important thing that I'm trying to get across with what we're doing with Fan Insights, is that um, sports can learn from each other. And I know that it's something that, you've you know you've done yourself i know you've spoken to people from other sports you don't 
take what you're doing lightly and and you and you you know you can learn from others and i i, I also hope that it goes the other way around because i think although your appeal is going to be different and football's never going to try to operate in the, the space you do yeah. with regards to how you position your sport and the way you position your club i think there's a lot people can learn from how you work and how you do your fan engagement to be honest and i hope that um you can continue to be part of what we're doing at fan insights because i think it's incredibly valuable yeah i think you make a good point there kevin i think i'm i'm forever investing in myself i've been to the UFC, uh, the LA Lakers, WWF, uh, obviously a lot of football clubs as well. And I think you can take a lot from different sports and how, and how, and how they operate. And, and look, I think football do some fantastic things. Like you look at the Premier League, it's just incredible the size of, of the Premier League now. And uh, again, how we position ourselves probably wouldn't wouldn't fit a football club. It's different dynamics, different challenges, etc. But it's, uh, it's knowing... Uh, your strengths, but more importantly, knowing your weaknesses and looking to how to improve that. 